Welcome to another Matrix Care podcast from the software leaders for out-of-hospital and long-term care providers. Matrix Care is dedicated to sharing knowledge and building awareness among providers across the spectrum from home care to skilled nursing to senior living and life plan communities. My name is Dr. Devor. As Director of Enterprise Interoperability at Matrix Care, I'm honored to be the host for today's session, a discussion on RCM support through COVID, PDTM, and beyond. So we're going to listen in on a conversation between Naveen Gupta, Vice President of Home Care Solutions for Matrix Care, and his special guest, Jeremy Crow from HC1. Jeremy is a senior software executive, information technology consultant, and certified project manager. This ought to be an interesting conversation, Naveen, so the microphone is yours. Uh, thank you, Doc. Thank you again for, for hosting us. And uh, it certainly is a very important topic, um, PDGM and uh, the current pan- pandemic with COVID-19 have left agencies and um, with a, a number of economic challenges. Uh, they're feeling the reimbursement squeeze uh, via CMS. Um, the pandemic has also caused just a general decline in census because of elective surgeries being canceled. Uh, there have been canceled visits in general. There have been restrictions on where services can be delivered, like senior housing, for example. And all of that has just created um, economic pressures. The lifeline for any business is their ability to manage cash flow, which means using the right technology solution and working through the reimbursement process. Um, as most um, you know, agency owners, those that run businesses would tell you, you know, having a high DSO, uh, day sales outstanding, um, really it means it takes a long time to collect money and this may lead to cash flow problems. Uh, and therefore, just being able to manage the entire process in terms of revenue cycle becomes more important in, in, in a, a situation where, where cash is, is being impeded. And, and, I, and I think we'll, we'll talk more about it. I think the CARES Act has provided relief. Uh, but there are a number of other things that can be done uh, from an agency perspective. And so I'm super excited that we have Jeremy. Um, Jeremy runs the revenue cycle management operations at Healthcare First. And as I've uh, been doing recently on these podcasts, just wanting to hear a little bit more on our guest's origin story. And it's very fascinating just hearing how uh, folks have come into the industry or how they found their way into into post-acute. So Jeremy, A, welcome. And B, we'd just love to hear your story a little bit. Great. Thank you, Naveen. Uh, it's it's good to be here. Uh, um, in all honesty, my journey is a little longer than I care to admit um, uh, in the out-of-hospital uh, market. Um, I began in home health and hospice uh, back in 1996 uh, with um, uh, one of the first software companies to serve home care and hospice. It was called Management Software, or MSI at the time. So I've been in the industry for over 20 years. Um, and that was before IPS, a precursor to PPS, um, and ironically, um, it was before many of the main software players in our space yet had any market share. So it's been interesting to watch the uh, market evolve. Um, I actually started as a sales associate um, almost right out of college doing lead generation and, and trade shows. And um, actually, after three years of doing that, I decided not to pursue a sales career and um, had the opportunity to go into implementation. And um, 
over the next decade, I had some great opportunities to uh, learn project management, um, had my first opportunity as a manager, and then eventually uh, left that organization as vice president over professional services. And in that role, I was um, overseeing training, consulting, um, uh, implementation, technical services, and a customization team. Um, in 2010, I actually left the market for a short time to um, expand uh, expand my experience in the critical access care market and the acute care settings during the meaningful use wave, and then uh, returned uh, to this market in 2012. Um, it's something that this market has always been very intrinsic to me. Uh, I've had a lot of personal experience in my uh, family. And so it was great to return um, back to this market um, uh, and, and serve the industry. Most of my background is with vendors, uh, but already, uh, but before joining Healthcare First, as you already mentioned, I was in consulting with the specialization in project management and operations. That's great, Jeremy. Uh, just a wealth of experience and knowledge in, in post-acute, uh, in home health and hospice. Um, really excited you know, just hearing about your new role and, and what you're going to be doing. Um, Healthcare First offers back-end revenue cycle management services. We're certainly not the only ones that offer these services. Can you just help describe traditionally what are the nature of these offerings uh, and why should agencies want to pay attention? Yeah, great question. Well, well first of all, generally these include um, clinical coding, documentation review, um, uh, your assessments, 45, your discharges, and billing services. Now, the scope of each of these may um, vary depending on um, the vendor or the specific customer's needs, but several reasons to pay attention. Uh, First of all, the regulatory changes. You mentioned PDGM and then unplanned COVID changes. It's a lot to stay on top of, and I talk to our customers regularly, and they are on the phone Um, for hours a day, getting up-to-minute and up-to-hour changes, both on a a local and national level. So it's a lot to stay on top of. So, And and agencies already were struggling, or many um, have enough to deal with to ensure that the agency is doing enough to tend to their patients, Um, uh, just simply have enough staff to fill schedules. So this is a way to mitigate their risk and partner with someone so they can focus on taking care of patients. Another thing to consider is to help uh-huh. spend is to help spend time on things that matter most. Partnering with a revenue cycle organization allows agencies to um, forego recruiting and managing uh, staff for those two areas. And um, again, you know, it's it's tough enough to stay on top of schedules and, and taking care of their patients. So coding, review, billing services are sometimes overlooked and become less of a priority. And that's great. You know, I think when we talk about agencies, there's at least three dimensions. There's this clinical dimension, there's this operational dimension, and there's this financial dimension. And what I'm just hearing you say is um, most agencies very strong in, in the clinicals, very strong in the operations, and many do financials really well, but I think the whether it really falls within the core competency uh, to be able to drive um, and whether they are better served by really focusing on, on the delivery of care and allowing, um, you know, an, an, an organization um, that that's sort of specializes on the regulatory and the reimbursement ends to be able to, to drive that. Yep. But, you know, I, I, I started out by, by, by sharing just about the, the economic challenges that agencies are facing. And 
So do you see that agencies can gain efficiencies and gain leverage in, in the way that they are operating by outsourcing some of these back-end, uh, back-end uh, operations? And does it, will it and, and, and does it, from your experience, drive improved economics? Yeah, it, it definitely can. Um, first of all, you get the efficiencies that come with a scalable partner, um, and you um, get top-notch um, talent. Um, that are on that receive ongoing training and coaching so they can um, uh, help help you be more successful uh, the, the most obvious is the opportunity to maximize reimbursement and cash flow um, that comes with a predictable process um, but more than that as your business contracts or preferably expands your partner can as well with the expenses being predictable um, as organizations changes, uh, it's difficult for leadership to know exactly when to add head, add head count or what type. And, and often, if waiting too long, um, they might not always have the best fit or they put these um, operations at risk by asking people to do things, what I call doing it on the side of your desk, you know, in your spare time, in addition to daily responsibilities. And that can um, cause problems for agencies. Sure. I mean, you know, so if I'm a listener, um, I'm an agency owner, I'm beginning to hear some of the benefits. Uh, but if I want to go on this journey on being able to identify and select uh, partners, right, revenue cycle partners to help me, what are some of the decision criteria that I as a CFO of an organization um, or a CEO, or anyone who is really involved in the decision-making, what are some of the key decision criteria that should be used when considering an outsourced partner? Yeah, well, um, you know, I'm a big believer in, in KPIs and key performance indicators, but before I go there, I would also talk about turnover. Um, it can Turnover can be expensive, and uh, as I already mentioned, a distraction. So um, we can help mitigate that risk, and you can focus on recruiting key, um, uh, you know, key staff staffing positions or your clinical positions. Um, but as far as performance indicators, I think you have to look at several. There's several industry standard mm-hmm. items, uh, days to claim or wraps or final claims. Uh, that directly impacts cash flow. You also need to consider your AR days by payer. And a couple others that we monitor are, are collection rates by payer and percentage of write-offs by revenue. Now, for coding and review, I think you primarily have to look at timing, um, you know, the, the turnaround time to get coding done and to have it reviewed. Um, this, the, you know, that timing um, is the most direct impact to your agency's success as it impacts the, your days to claims. So, Jared, in other words, if I'm a decision maker, maybe I'm considering even putting on an RFP, uh, some of the things that you just described in terms of KPIs, what would they be those key um, items that um, a decision maker would look at? Yeah, I, again, I would, I would focus on your days to claim, your AR days, um, write-offs, and, and collection rates by payers. Now, it's, it's tempting to look at average case mix. Um, I'm, I've always been hesitant to do that because in coding and review, it's more about being compliant than it is increasing revenue and being accurate. Um, so I think that's something to look at, but I don't know that I would um, always try to build a return on, on your case mix. 
Gotcha. You know, I think some of the other things that come to my mind, Jeremy, is, you know, um, I'm looking at how long has this partner been in business, right? Uh, I think that's important. I think uh, other areas that jump at me is what is their um, expertise in, in, you know, you talk about regulatory, right? So do they have a regulatory team uh, on board? Do they have a customer success? Because uh, in, in partnership, the ability to really have a liaison within the organization uh, would be key, I would imagine. So just thinking around some of these other elements that, um, you know, I think the ability to do the coding, to do the billing, to do the claims, um, I think there are many, many um, organizations, many, many partners could do it. But I think there's various other elements that come into play from from a decision standpoint. Yeah. And, and then you also have to look at, um, you know, how long they've been doing it, how long they've been successful, their growth rate. Um, and then a key one that I focus on is, is quality. You know, how are they ensuring yes. quality and what their process is for that? Because in many times, um, we're, we're augmenting an agency's quality and an education program. Um, so it's, it's key to, to focus in in that area. Great. So, Jeremy, let's, let's assume um, an agency has made a decision uh, to partner um, and outsource their back-end services, the financial component of it. How do you measure the health of this relationship? Uh, what are some of the key things you would look at it from uh, an agency perspective and from the partner perspective um, in terms of saying, you know what, this is a healthy relationship and both parties uh, are, are meeting their objective? Right. Great question. Um, from, a, from an operational perspective, I, um, to start with, I think it's about having clearly defined roles, uh, process, and handoffs. Who's doing what, when? Um, how do I know when I do my part? And how do you know I'm doing my part? And there's always small variations in that process, but most of it should be predefined. And so that's where you start off the relationship. But then the outcomes are that key performance indicator. Um, how, and, and we I like to do that in, in the form of a scorecard, you know, um, uh, you know, items that we focus on and are willing to publish are the, the days to claims. Um, uh, you know, again, that's a, you know, that's an indicator of cash flow. Um, uh, also it, that one indicates how well you and your partner are working together because there's things that the agency has to do. And then your partner has to do to complement that. So we're both dependent on one another for a positive outcome. So days to wrap, days to final claim are a key, uh, a key KPI. And then, um, and then we like to keep ourselves accountable with aging, the percentage of write-offs, and the turnaround time. Those are items that we, um, uh, that we have control of and, and can influence uh, directly. So that's how we measure ourselves. That's great. Um, like anything else, um, taking a, a, a new step, a new direction for any organization to make a decision to partner with the revenue cycle can seem like having a, a measure of risk associated with it. And um, so what can agencies do to manage this perceived risk with regards to their backend, the current backend staff, and um, the, the, um, the process to go through uh, essentially having a partner take on revenue cycle, um, are there some inherent risk and how, how can agencies feel comfortable that it would be mitigated? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And and responding to this, I always think about everything you want to do or know you should be doing, but you can't because you're busy keeping daily operations going. So I think uh, revenue cycle services are a good low risk way to offset the responsibilities of that day to day. So your agency centric or your local talent can work on more strategic or specialized tasks. Um, I think the challenge for any leadership team is to get the most return on your assets. So by offloading an agency's talent assets, um, it allows them the opportunity to get a better return or to work on more strategic and long-term initiatives. That's great. That's a great answer, Jeremy. Um, you know, I know with your background, um, you know, you're very passionate about continuous improvements, driving efficiencies, uh, and really just helping agencies navigate through this uh, sort of a, a tougher economic climate with, as we said, decreased census and just the change in inpatient flow and what that's doing to reimbursements and margins. Um, anything else you want to add, you know, for someone looking to make a decision? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to return to a phrase I coined several years ago. I don't know if I'm the first one who said it, but um, but I hadn't heard it before. But um, that phrase is, if it's not broken, make it better. Um, now, to be fair, that's gotten me into trouble in the past, <laughs> but I think you always have to look for opportunities to improve, whether it's to address a, a perceived weakness in your process or to augment yes. it and improve it. So um, otherwise, you run the risk of becoming stagnant. Um, I actually had a manager tell me one time that one of my strengths was challenging status quo, and, um, and I took it as a compliment because I think we have to do that in order to best serve our customers. So. Um, it, you know, this doesn't mean you always change something, um, but you, um, but to question it means you have to consider whether or not it adds value. And, um, and if you can st- substantiate the value, you leave it alone. So I think we need to continue to do that um, in this ever-changing industry. We have to change and evolve to best meet our customer demands, whether that's a new service or adding something to our existing services. I'm, I'm committed to doing that. That's great, Jeremy. You know, thank you. I, um, you know, I think it's great for for listeners to just speak their interest that there are options out there, even as they look to uh, just improve their own cash flow. Just the, it's, it's essentially the lifeline of a, of a business and the ability to focus on care delivery, which I, I know uh, a, a number of uh, folks that we speak with that, that that's the passion. That's what has brought them into um, you know post acute certainly. Um, you know, home health and hospice and uh, home care, private duty. Um, so just knowing that there are, there are uh, organizations such as Healthcare First and many others as well um, that are uh, willing to essentially be partners in being able to help navigate uh, the challenges within revenue cycle, I think is, is great for, for people to, to hear. So thank you, Jeremy, once again, and really appreciate you making time. Thank you, Naveen. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, good discussion on a very real uh, a challenge for our, our folks in long-term care. Thank you for listening in on this episode of the Matrix Care Podcast. Be sure to visit us at www.matrixcare.com for more information on our products and services. We'd love to hear from you. Please give us feedback on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Let us know everything from how to improve to future topics you'd like to see discussed. On behalf of Matrix Care and today's guest, Jeremy, thanks for listening. 
we hope to have you back for another episode of the Matrix Care Podcast.